If you want to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we're looking at the first 15 verses. I'm just going to read it. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted, because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you, and then I was with you and was in need... I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. And what I am doing I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, please... uh, At this moment, would you work in our hearts by your spirit to hear you speak in your word? And Lord, would you convict us of unrighteousness? Would you shape us by your truth? And would you teach us to delight in righteousness? And we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, I have a good friend uh, who works in the admin department of a large Christian organisation. And as part of her job, she interacts regularly with people in ministry about all sorts of things, their pay, their conditions, their ministry expense account, other things that are kind of part of their world. And she says to me, most of those interactions are lovely and gracious, but every year uh, there are one or two people in that organisation who get really pushy and picky about what they get paid and about what their rights are and what should and shouldn't have been done and how that all should be worked out and why the policies that she's enacting aren't actually correct or appropriate. Do you think we should be concerned about that? Even if they're technically correct, do you think we should be concerned about that? On another front, every year at college, at some point during the year, one or a number of the staff members, the people who work on the front desk or in accounts or wherever else it is, will come up to me and they'll just tell me a little story about how a student has interacted with them. Uh, often in a way that's slightly rude or demeaning, pushy, picky, demanding their rights. I wonder how you think about your time at college. Is college a place that's offering you a service for which you have paid a lot of money 
and so it really ought to work in the way that you think that it should. Does it matter how you treat the people who are part of the organisation? Does it matter the way that you act when the important people aren't watching? Brothers, today's passage actually speaks very deeply to the issue of who we are as ministers of the gospel of grace and about the way that the preacher's life actually says an awful lot about what they teach, even if what they teach might be technically correct. Now, in order to see it, you're going to actually have to work very hard with me at the passage because I want to tell you, I have found 2 Corinthians 10 to 14, to 13, sorry, there's no 14. I'm not making up extra bits. Um, it's just excruciatingly difficult to understand. It's so personal. It's so real in the moment between Paul and the Corinthians and there's so many things that I read them and I feel like Paul's logic has gone in the wrong direction. He's started to become utterly irrational. He's gone to a place that I wouldn't have gone and clearly that would be problematic. Dig in with me and I'll show you what I mean by how the passage unfolds and I want you to see if you can see where I get to in terms of understanding what's really at stake here in Paul's relationship with the Corinthians and the super apostles. If you remember, we're at that point in Paul's argument where Paul's wrestling for the souls of the Corinthians because he believes that they're being pulled away by a different kind of gospel. But Paul has just, in chapter 10, if you remembered last week, said, in order to wrestle with these super apostles, it would be dangerous to play the comparison game. Do you remember back there in chapter 10, verse 12? Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. When they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. And he's been absolutely adamant that if you're going to boast, you've got to boast in what God thinks of you and what nobody else thinks. So verse 17 of last week, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. It is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. But having put all of those pieces in place, he's about to spend two chapters comparing himself with the super apostles. Uh, and that's actually why chapter 11 verse 1 begins with these words. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. He realises that he's about to enter into a space that's really dangerous and slightly stupid. He's already told you that he knows that it's true, but he's going to go there anyway. Why is he going to go there? And the answer is that he's desperately afraid for the Corinthians. Verse 2, For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Paul came to them... And he brought the Lord Jesus to them and he said, bind yourself to Jesus and find life. I betrothed you to him. I preached to you the gospel of grace and called you into relationship with Christ. And if you leave him behind, if Satan comes and brings lies that tear you away from this Jesus, then you're in danger of losing life. And to hear that Paul's language, I feel a divine jealousy for you. There is an appropriate burning in his heart that they might actually continue with Christ and not be pulled away. It would be a tragedy at every level for them to leave Christ behind at this point in time. And the reason that Paul is so fearful, he actually expresses in the next verse, because verse 4, if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. The Corinthians are actually accepting a different truth from the one that Paul preached to them, a different Jesus or a different spirit. 
But here's my question for you. If you had people who you thought were accepting a different gospel, what would you do about that? Well, my first response is I would explain to them what the true gospel looks like, what the false gospel looks like, and how they're not kind of in any way related to each other, and why the true gospel is better than the false gospel. What does Paul do? Well, he goes off his nana about his relationship with the super apostles. Like, look at the next verse. He's just gone, you're receiving a different gospel. Verse 5, indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to those super apostles. And verse 6, even if I'm unskilled in speaking, I'm not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we've made this plain to you in all things. And then, as if that's not enough, he spends the next chapter explaining why boasting about not being paid for gospel ministry is the most important issue in the planet. Did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone. I refrain from burdening. The truth is me. I will not let this boasting of mine be silenced in the regions of Achaia. Now, brothers, I've got to tell you that trying to put verses 5 and 6 together with verses 1 to 4 led me to a point last Friday afternoon where I was almost in complete despair uh, and incapable of working out what is it that happens next and how do you move forward. Now, I don't know what you do when you're in that place, but in God's great kindness, I'm in a place where there's lots of other capable people. So I went wandering the halls looking for members of the New Testament department uh, in the great hope that one of them would help me and the Lord provided Lionel Windsor, uh, (laughs) for which actually I'm extremely grateful. had a really fruitful and helpful conversation with Lionel, who didn't answer all my questions, unfortunately, but he helped me to see two things um, that I think were mistakes in the way that I'd been thinking. When I heard Paul say, different Jesus, different spirit, different gospel, I had a set of things in my head about what that meant. They were denying the divinity of Jesus. They were denying the resurrection. They were not talking about the full humanity and divinity. You know, all of those things that we think of when we talk about how you get a different Jesus. And I couldn't find any of those in the passage. In fact, I couldn't find any of those in the whole rest of this section. But the conversation also helped me to see that because that was what I was expecting, I thought that Paul had gone off on a tangent in verse 5 in comparing himself to the super apostles. But what if, just for a moment, and I know that you're going to laugh at me at this point in time, that what if at the moment I just assumed Paul wasn't being irrational, but actually his comparison with the super apostles was the most important thing in understanding how the gospel was false and how the spirit was false and how the Jesus was false that they were preaching. At that point in time, if you come back and start to look at the passage in its context, you start to see that these issues are actually the essence of what Paul is concerned about, about these people as they preach the gospel. Because will you notice that all of the themes in verses 1 to 15 of chapter 11 actually recur in chapter 12? Just come over and see chapter 10, 12, verse 11 for me a minute. Listen to the language and how many echoes there are. Chapter 12, verse 11, I have been a fool, for you forced me to it, for I ought to have been commended by you, For I was not at all inferior to those super apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in what were you less favoured than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me this wrong. Here for the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden, 
For I will seek not what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? Now just think about it. Both passages claim, Paul makes a claim to foolishness. Both are about his claim that he's not inferior to the super apostles. Both involve the issue of payment, burden and obligation and both involve a plea on Paul's behalf of his deep love for the Corinthians. This is not incidental or accidental to Paul's unravelling of the relationship of the super apostles, but these issues of payment and burden and relationship are actually at the very heart of what he thinks is going on at this point in time in terms of the way that the super apostles are undermining the gospel. So now come back with me to our passage in those little hinge verses, verses 5 and 6, and look at what he says, verse 6. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, uh, and the original here basically implies that he kind of concedes that point. He's saying I'm not skilled. Not necessarily he's saying that I'm absolutely pathetic as a public speaker, but perhaps he's not obeying the rules of rhetoric that they follow or whatever else it is. But he, he acknowledges that that's true. His claim is that he is not unskilled in knowledge. But look at what he says this. In every way... We have made this plain to you in all things. Now, what is the very way in which he proves to them? What's the very example that he goes to that proves to them that he is skilled in knowledge in every way and in all things? Well, he goes on straight away to talk about how he preached the gospel to them free of charge. Verse 7, Did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? Now, you look through this next paragraph and you see, I think, lots of the hints of the accusations and the narrative that's coming against Paul. Paul has sinned in not accepting payment. Paul has robbed from the other churches in order to do his ministry. Paul has been unwilling to be a burden or perhaps to be obligated to you, Corinthians, verse 9. He has committed all the things that would be a social disaster in his world. And it seems to me... That Paul is adamant, though, that he's not going to let go of his boast, do you see there? What is Paul's boast? Well, if you want to go back and read 1 Corinthians 9 for yourself later, Paul's boast is that though the obligation to preach the gospel has been laid on him by Jesus, he must preach it. He will choose to preach it free of charge, and in that he's able to boast. And Paul says, with you guys, I'm going to hold on to my boast and I'm going to keep preaching the gospel completely free of charge. And just in case you missed that point, he actually emphasises it three times in these verses. Verse 9, I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. This boasting of mine will not be silenced. And verse 12, what I am doing, I will continue to do. In other words, he stands there and he says, the thing that those super apostles have accused me of doing that apparently for you shows that I'm not a real apostle, I'm going to keep doing it, and I'm going to keep doing it, and I'm going to keep doing it. And in fact, that is the way in which you will know that I am true. Because do you notice verse 13? Such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ, and no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise also if his servants disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Huh? Verse 12. 
what I am doing I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. This is the place that you know what a true apostle looks like and what a false teacher looks like. They have come demanding to be paid and treated in a particular way and respected and honoured and treated in positions of authority and power. And I have come to you in a way that overturns all of your social conventions, not being a burden to you, not demanding payment when I was in need, seeking help from somewhere else in order that I might serve you with the gospel of Christ so that you would come to know Jesus. And so do you notice Paul's tag at the very end of the section? Their end will correspond to their deeds. Brothers, if I'm right about what's going on in this section, Paul doesn't actually spend a lot of time talking about the different quality of their gospel. Did they preach Jesus? I presume that they did. Did they say some basically orthodox things about Jesus, like probably that he was raised from the dead and that he was Lord of all? I suspect that they said all of those things. What actually revealed them as false teachers was not the accuracy of the truth of particular statements that they made about the gospel, but the fact that they had totally misunderstood the underlying nature of the grace of the gospel and had turned the gospel into a thing of privilege and power rather than into a space of service and love for other people. Because if you just go a few verses on in verse 20, how the super apostles treated them, well, Paul says, bear, <laughs> for you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. I'm sure that that is a description of some of the behaviour of the super apostles. So these people come preaching a gospel, saying we're just like these other apostles and what the gospel means is that you owe us a certain level of respect and you ought to treat us in a particular way and if we are not treated in the way that we think we ought to be treated, we are going to discipline you for that and make sure you treat us in the right way. The gospel, which if Paul had understood the death of Jesus rightly, must be about the weakness and service of those who come proclaiming it had been turned into an excuse for privilege and power on the part of the super apostles and you will know them by their deeds. Brothers, you can be utterly orthodox on a whole bunch of issues and be thoroughly evil and dangerous. And I really want you to let that sink in and just chew on that for a minute. You can speak truth about Jesus and actually completely undermine the gospel by your demeanour, by the way that you behave, by the way that you relate to people, by what you demand, by how you respond when things don't go your way, by the way that you treat people when the important people aren't around. So I want to ask you the question, just to contemplate in your hearts. Why are you here at college? Have you come in order to have some sort of reasonably paid, comfortable life? Of course, you can do that, actually. 
find the right parish in the right place, get the right kind of discounts at the right kind of schools, you can live a very comfortable life that doesn't demand too much of you. Uh, Are you here because there's a way of life that kind of suits you and how you're wired and you can earn a living from it? And I want to say if that's you, I just want to say don't. Leave, go and find something else to do because what you're being called to in terms of people's souls is too important for that. I also want to ask you, how is it that you behave when you get frustrated or disappointed or when you don't get your own way or when someone isn't giving you what you think it is that you should deserve? Do you become angry? Do you become argumentative? Do your friends or family speak of you as someone who's like a dog at a bone and can't let go? Brothers, some of those characteristics I've actually seen justified out of gospel concern, but they're ultimately unhealthy because they don't actually understand the gospel of grace. Who you are and the way that you treat people and your willingness not to stand on your rights but to act with integrity and kindness in all spaces is actually at the heart of who you are as a minister of the gospel. So I just want to tell you a very short story. Left home this morning, I arrived at the edge of Carillion Avenue running slightly late and being anxious about printing out my sermon and reading through it and being ready to preach it. And the street was completely clear except for a little car that turned the corner on the edge of King Street and dawdled. And by dawdled, I mean like drove at about three kilometres an hour (laughs) along that street. And then by the time they had passed me, the traffic coming from the other direction was a line that was from here to kind of Parramatta. (laughs) And I stood on the other side of the street mumbling under my breath. And then as I crossed the road, I thought, geez, I'm about to preach a sermon about that. But I actually tell you the story because if you're sitting here thinking that this should apply to somebody else or you know who else in the room needs to listen, then I think you've missed the point. There's this stuff, isn't there, that wells up in our hearts when we get frustrated or disappointed or cut off. And brothers, it must not lead to treating people in the kind of way that the super apostles treated the Corinthians. We ought to be willing to give up every one of our rights and to do this job completely free of payment and scrape the way to make ends meet if that's what's necessary because people being in relationship with the living Lord matters more than anything else. Will you pray with each other that God would actually bring these things to bear in our own hearts, that we would keep seeking the forgiveness of the gospel and going saying sorry where we've made mistakes? and that we would be people who would actually live in a way that reflects the gospel that we claim to preach. Please pray with me. Our precious Father in heaven, we thank you for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for our dear brother Paul, who at the very point that the gospel was contradicted would refuse to behave in the way that others would, even if that was the point at which he was being attacked. 
Father, thank you for his desire to preach Christ free of charge. And thank you for his passion to speak the truth of Christ, not for his own good, but for Jesus' glory and out of love for others. Father, please help us to contemplate the gospel of grace, our Lord who would give himself up for us. And so, Father, teach us to treat others with compassion and kindness and grace in whatever space we find them. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.